Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're very welcome to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio by the fierce and twosome of news correspondent Zara King. Zara, hello. Hello, how and are Richard you? Chambers, hello. Gav. How are you? Good, I'm you. I love fearsome twosome, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, we are fearsome. It's better than other kinds of Good double acting there, yeah. Rhymes slightly better, actually, yeah. which I'm glad I didn't think of, because that would have been a pretty dour note to start off on. Sure. How are um, you, Gav? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. Uh, I can't get um, Lorene's tattoo out of my head, which is weird, because I didn't like the song when I heard it at the Eurovision. I'm going to admit, I haven't heard the song. Oh, you're, I don't you're, know how that's possible. You're almost better off not, not hearing the song, because it'll just borrow its way in, and you'll still be whistling it when you go to the Are you happy with the winner of Eurovision? No, I think the Finland one should have won it. Right. Oh. Okay, okay. Be, well, I think, it's, I think the people of Europe decided that the Finland one should have won it. People of Europe. People of Europe voted for it. How democratic is it that they chose the one that didn't win the public vote? Was there a bit of a stitch up there that it is going to be in Sweden for the 50th anniversary of ABBA? That it's seems a, to be the new... Yeah, so there's some suggestions that it was a stitch up because Sweden, for the jury votes, there were 37 juries and yeah. got deuce point out of 15 of them. And then for the public vote, of which there was 38, Sweden didn't get deuce point out of any. Mm. And Finland got loads. But I suspect that's probably because... Lorene's one was just a very polished production in general. So I think it just uh, appealed to juries, to professional musicos, more than the bloke who looks like the Hulk stopped transforming midway through with his big puffy green. It'd be I great in Sweden though. You know my thoughts on Sweden. I think the yeah. EBU has pulled a stroke on us there oh now. Oh my God, it'll this be is a scurrilous accusation. Denying the people, <laughs> the cha-cha-cha of uh, Finland. Well, it'll be there now in, in next year now for the 50th for the 50th abiversary. Uh, have, have you been to the Abba Museum? I have not been. No, I've never been to we've, Sweden. I think we've done this before. No. Really done phenomenal. This before. I, we have done it before. But Sounds I still, good though. I still recommend that people go to Stockholm for a weekend and visit the Abba Museum. Okay. Uh, this advert brought to you by the Stockholm Tourism yes, Board. Yeah. Other uh, Nordic cities are available. Um, <laughs> So we, we should probably start with the, the main sort of news topic of the week, which has been not alone um, the ongoing quest to try and find housing for not alone Ukrainian um, beneficiaries of international protection, but also asylum mm-hmm. seekers who were coming to Ireland. And in particular, the scenes of Sandwich Street on Friday evening and subsequently the ongoing standoff uh, in Ancient County Clare, where there's some opposition to um, basically... A, a, housing units on the side of a derelict hotel being used uh, to accommodate those. Um, mm. Rich, I'll start with yourself because you, you kind of know the territory a little bit better than those of us with your, your County Clare background. Yeah, yeah. It sort of seems like there's three camps in Inch, that there's those who um, believe that we have a duty, moral and legal, to roll mm. out the red carpet and do as best we can. Yep. There's people at the other end who would just say, no, don't want this. And then there's some in the middle ground who have some concerns about whether Inch is the appropriate venue to put people who warrant sort of housing. How big do you reckon each of those three camps is? No idea. You can't, I can't quantify it because obviously you're going to have silent majorities in, in any of these situations and you can't put people into camps, you know, any one of three things very easily. Um, there are genuine local concerns about the site. I mean, the guarantee was that the hotel, uh, the McGowan Hotel, which actually isn't being used itself at the moment, it's three three-bedroom chalets which are on site which are being used for the housing or had been earmarked for the housing of 20, well, 33. Now it's 29 because four left because of the 
the lack of welcome essentially that was provided there yesterday. They felt unsafe about that. They'd seen the headlines about what happened in Dublin over the weekend. They felt, well, I'll take my chances living rough, rough up in Dublin or in City West again rather than staying here. The scenes of them leaving were like really, really sad. I have to say yeah. that, that was quite... I, I, I find it very The belongings in the shopping bags was just mm. honestly really heartbreaking. Yeah, literally everything you have stuck on your back or in um, Lidl bags or Sports Direct bags. Uh, and trodden out the road and no real no real idea of how to get back to Dublin but that's where they're going mm. they'll probably walk into Ennis first and then try and see where they get from there but um, really difficult really really difficult situation um, I would say there's a lot that's it's, it's very easy for people to react very quickly and I think the media in some ways has done a poor enough job about examining what's happening in County Clare as well in some of the way that things are presented like we're getting into the weeds here straight off the bat. What happened in Sandwich Street and what's happened on Mount Street um, was all described as um, protesters or anti-migrant protesters, whereas what happened in County Clare was described for the most part as local people rather than local, rather yeah. than protesters and that. But now there's a distinction being brought between the two. Yeah, or, and I, at least an attempted distinction. Yeah, and I think I think there was a lot of reporting on what the concerns were, whether it was the suitability, as we already talked about, of the site itself, uh, whether it's sewage issues, fire search issues. Well, that's not relevant because that was to the for the hotel, hotel building itself, mm. and that's not been used at this point. But that will be addressed. Um, so says the government anyway. But all these things about super suitability and rurality and all that sort of stuff and no services and whatnot. Um, all of those stuff, all of those things, which you've heard before in previous discussions about suitability of direct provision centres mm. in different communities and towns across the country, those were all parroted back by the news media um, as to why these people were there. While is it not fair enough to report that back if that's what is being said by people on the ground? And yeah, but if you're if you're if you're omitting other things which were said by people on the ground, then I think that you're probably misleading. Okay. If you're omitting so things like some other people saying that they want to lock their doors at night because they're afraid of these migrants walking up and down the road, and that's not let that's not included in the news coverage. Mm. Well, then I think that's probably something which is worth reflecting on. Um, either you, you just say that there's protesters there mm. and that's it, or you reflect all of the views which are there. Because some of the people, including um, one member of the far right who came down uh, from Dublin yesterday to County Clare, um, he's not worried about local services in County Clare. Mm. That's not why he's there. Uh, he's very clear about that. That's not. So do you think there's almost is. sort of like a sanitising of of sort of what's been said yeah, in yeah, that rural be, setting? It can be, but I just, I just think it's just generally across the board, and it is. It also goes to a certain extent backwards as well in that people who are and some people who will as as I've said have local concerns about even about the safety of these guys who are in there and they might be getting a bus or they might be heading towards Ennis for the intro office where they're all bussed out today mm-hmm. and they might get you know it's a dark road there's no lights all that sort of stuff it's not great for anybody's safety so people might have genuine concerns about that but that's all going to be left behind because some people in Dublin will probably think everyone here yeah is doing this for the wrong reasons. Whereas you can't put everybody into neat little pigeonholes, I think is probably the main okay. point. So it's a bit say. more nuanced than that and it's a more of an individual thing. Yeah. And I would say, and we said just before we started recording here, like as a county, Claire has been phenomenal in terms of the response with the Ukrainians. Uh-huh. Totally, yeah. And, you know, even like speaking to locals in Claire myself kind of this time last year, to hear what they've done for people, you know, even just sort of if they saw people walking the roads, like people would just pull over and offer them a lift into the local town or village and stuff, that there has been uh, definitely a warm welcome, but there is a different tone around this gap, isn't there? There, There is a different tone. And one thing that I've detected from my very cursory um, interactions with um, TDs and senators from Clare about all of this is that I think that their mood now is slightly different. And I don't know whether this is just the mood of the politicians or whether they're reflecting back what is felt on the ground and some listener feedback on this would be, be very welcome. Mm. 
like I spent a couple of days in Spanish Point last summer and I remember like noting how many of the tourist towns had very welcoming signs up being saying, you know, sorry, we're not open for passing trade at the moment because we're housing our guests from Ukraine and we'll be delighted to have you back when this this phase is past us. And I got the impression that this was a was communities and a county which were like, well, we'd like if our tourist system was a bit different. We'd like if the List of Environment Matchmaking Festival was very different this year, no different this year to other years. Mm. But they were like, well, this is an aberration. It's fine. And that now they're looking into a second tourism season where the hotels are still unavailable for tourists and that they are kind of wondering now, is there an ongoing impact to the way in which they go about their lives and their commercial lives and their local culture? I, I would query was like how many hotels actually are out of action as for the for the tourist season because I do know there's... Paid, yeah, they're and there's also a big... They are anticipating a big tourist season hey. in West Clare. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. For, for all the usual reasons. Which suggests then that if that if that is, if there's this vibe coming back through the Oireachtas members that people are beginning to lose their patience with this, that it's a kind well, of like, drive feeling. You're looking at this situation, everybody's talking about this as if it's a hotel. The hotel was closed and if you're listening to the local concerns, it's in the middle of nowhere, mm. where I wouldn't say it is really. It's about eight, eight miles outside Ennis, which is obviously the most populous town in Clare. Um, and one of the most populous in all the West. I suppose if yeah. you have no transport, it kind of. But like, no, but like, if, if, but if, it, um, I, 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 if, if you take that view that it's isolated and nowhere, well, then it's not exactly going to be a hotel which is going to come back in action either. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. like, yeah. it isn't. It's mm. been closed for, for four years yeah. now. Mm. Um, and, and that presumably was a commercial thing because if, if it closes, and this is pre COVID times, if it was closed, it was because there was no trade to sustain yeah. it. It used to be a place where people went in and watched hurling matches, basically. It used to be a popular place where people would go, if they stopped on the road back from Ennis from, from the hurling or whatever, you'd go into. Uh, the McGowna uh, and you know just chat away have a few sandwiches all that sort of stuff as well mm. but again just on the point about Clare Hospitality I actually remember a couple of years ago um, back when this was an issue around direct provision centres List in Varna in particular mm. was, had this sort of debate happen there then with people from outside as well coming in and trying to egg up um, a level of uh, dissatisfaction a level of fear Again, talking about some of the same tropes we talked about before, okay. which is actually something that's actually worth bearing in mind. We're treating a lot of this stuff as if it's completely new. That's true. Yeah, it's, it, it's being it's being aired as if it's the first time that these arguments have been made. Direct provision centres have been under threat for many years. Um, a lot of these things have existed for a long time. So I remember all that. And I remember a lot of the, again, genuine concerns about services and utilities, all that sort of stuff into um, List Varna and towns around wherever in Clare. But again, the integration that actually happened there yeah. No no complaints ever since then. So it is worth looking at that in mind. And people in Clare have done their utmost. And it was actually in terms of, as I was saying, one of the highest proportions of counties yeah, for yeah. Ukrainian no, Absolutely. I do think, though, we need to get down to the reality of this conversation in, in terms of the difference of how we treat people who come here from, for example, Afghanistan and people who come here from Ukraine. Yeah. Mm. And the fact that the government has made that that line down the middle yeah. and that they treat people differently. Well, that, that's and, a distinction that's in European law. So it's yeah. not necessarily something that was decided upon by the government. Yeah, here. okay. But, but it's a distinction, but it's that the distinction that's creating a lot of tension and it's a distinction that is definitely felt, particularly if you're someone who's come here from Afghanistan. So yeah, totally. um, Usman is a gentleman who I spoke to uh, yesterday at the Lighthouse. So the Lighthouse is, um, I, I suppose, soup kitchen maybe, for want of a better term, uh, a place that opens at lunchtime and it opens in the evenings as well for evening meals uh, for rough sleepers from uh, all, from Ireland and abroad, anyone who's sleeping on the streets and they have noticed that the number of people who are coming in every day um, um, is rapidly increasing, that the queue is getting longer. Um, and just to put into context as well, for example, um, we've been covering the story for a long time, but over the weekend I was working and on Saturday, Owen Kelly went down to get shots outside the International Protection Office, our cameraman. 
and he counted some 30 tents on Saturday and when he went back on Tuesday morning to get updated pictures of how the situation was evolving there was 60 tents. So you've had a doubling of the number of tents outside um, the IPO on Mount Street in four days and those people are being fed then in places like the Lighthouse. So um, Usman came from Afghanistan. He got here in March and has been sleeping um, on the streets for the last three months um, and is is really sort of, um, you know, struggling and and talks about the fact that it took him 10 months to get to Ireland in the first place. And, you know, the reason he came here is because he's fleeing persecution in Afghanistan. And, you know, he will say he he's a very dignified man, a very, um, you know, he's a very sort of pragmatic about the situation in a sense that he will say, I'm sleeping on the streets of Dublin and is he frightened of what he's seeing in terms of the fire in Sandwich Street, you know, the protest, mm-hmm. the anger, the frustration? Absolutely. But in the same breath, he would point to the fact that the alternative in terms of the idea of going home to Afghanistan is just not an option for him. He's, he's like, if I go home to Afghanistan, I'm going to be shot. That's just the bottom line for this man. So in some ways, he's enduring this, you know, rough sleeping uncertainty because the alternative is actually far worse, um, which is appalling in itself. I just want to play a clip of, of Osman. We'll take a listen to what he had to say to us um, yesterday. When you see the protests and you see the fire over the weekend and, and tents are burned, how does that make you feel? Well, honestly, honestly speaking, uh, uh, I didn't f- uh, felt good. Uh, I mean, those tents are being set on fire. So it's really, you know, um, it's really not good. Are you frightened? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. One, one must uh, be frightened if, if we would have a look at the... Uh, he, look, uh, he would have a look at the tent um, that is being put on fire. Or, I mean, the local, uh, the local people you know, who would, uh, by passing close to you, they would, uh, you know, humiliate you or they would uh, bother you, you know. So it, it, you, you don't feel good about it. So as we're just getting a sense there and just to be clear, he didn't want his face to appear on camera and that's mainly because of his concerns about uh, not even just his safety here in Ireland, but actually he doesn't want to be seen to be speaking on media for his family back in Afghanistan. That he worries about he's left behind a wife and kids that obviously he worries about all of the time. So the idea of appearing on media is actually quite high risk for him on that basis. It is. And I think it's interesting because some of the people who were um, chatting in Clare, who especially the four who left yesterday, uh, they were very conscious not to have their face on camera for the reason that they were going back to Dublin Mm. and they felt that they had seen, from what they'd seen over the weekend and from what they'd heard, is that other uh, asylum seekers who had appeared on camera or who had appeared in news reports the previous week, when I think the Irish Times and other newspapers Mm -hmm. did sort of reports on what was happening in sort of the the tents outside the IPO, Mm -hmm. they felt those people were singled out um, afterwards by people from the far right. So actually I'll bring you a clip of, of Sharif as well here. So here's why he says, he says, basically I want a chance living on the streets of Dublin rather than the lack of welcome that's here in County Clare. We go into Dublin city centre. We live in homeless to Dublin city centre better than here because here they not accept uh, us here. Yeah. The local people protested? People, people here? Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday people, they not, uh, uh, they not uh, accept uh, us but uh, today maybe everything changed I don't know would, would you have liked to live here or? I want to live here yeah I want really live here look uh, lovely here but the problem with people maybe uh-huh. 
So welcome back to the group chat. So those were some some thoughts from those who are um, affected by the shortage, not only the shortage of accommodation, but also about the attitudes of of those in the country that they're now looking for um, protection. Which then brings on to the separate question of the state's response to this, not alone in terms of the housing that they're able to provide, but also the policing response, because that mm. in itself has been one of the more contentious aspects. And look, I wasn't there on Friday evening, uh, nor were, were any of us, the only participants that were there were the guards and those on either side of uh, the guard barricade. But it sort of seemed like at some point the guards effectively organised the evacuation of the site in Sandwich Street so that the stuff could almost be burned in the absence of the asylum seekers, which to me seemed like a very grave turn of events. Mm. Mm. I think uh, what was striking to me and what's been striking about the political conversation since is this idea of, again, this is all new, who could have predicted this? Whereas if you go back to 2019, one of the things Drew Harris identified as a threat Mm. to security and overall the well-being of the country was the rise of the far right. Also, if you go back just a few months ago on this podcast, I remember we were talking about this and the lack of accommodation and the fact that asylum seekers would be sleeping on the streets. Mm. We were doing that thing around Dublin Airport and all that sort of stuff and people wouldn't be accommodated. I remember specifically people within the government, officials within housing, officials within the uh, Department of Integration who said that they were afraid that people who had come here seeking asylum who were sleeping rough would be targets Mm -hmm. for violence. And... um, nothing particularly was done in terms of actually preventing or protecting people who are out on the street Mm. from this. And now you have the political claims from people like the Taoiseach who says, I just don't think there's enough guards to do this. Yeah. And that's been very quickly bashed down for a number of different reasons. Um, By everyone else in government. By everyone else, including including the Guard Commissioner. Mm. Um, And we were going to come on to sort of what what the response of Guardi on the beat is really. They feel, yeah, we don't have enough resources, especially if something like Sandwich Street happened mm. in a rural town. Okay. Um, but so what, training what, what is not there. resources do they feel like they're missing? Well, training is a big one, Gav. Like, this is one of the things that the GRA has been talking about for a long time. And obviously I was at the, their conference there a few weeks back. Yeah. But they feel yeah. like training is just done... Uh, almost in a half-hearted way now that you stick a video up online, like one of those modules you do for other workplaces and you just flick it on for 20 minutes and it's like, now you're trained in diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Uh, so says Brendan O'Connor, it's the GRA president. It's like a box-ticking exercise. Yeah, and, and like if you're handling a crowd situation, a very tense crowd situation, the only people that the GRA says now are qualified to handle are the public order unit. Mm. Public order unit is a very specialised unit which is not available in every community across the country. They said previously you would have had everybody in the Guardian as the jack of all trades. Mm. You can handle, you'd have a little bit of crowd control skill in you. You'd know what to do in those situations. Mm. Whereas now guards are turning up and they haven't a clue what to do. Which is not what you want really in any situation where people, you know, their homes of of whatever description are a threat Mm. plus their lives and well-being and including the well-being of officers who are there as well. Yeah, and I think as well, like there are guards, like I was speaking to some guards about the idea of, you know, we talk about some of the specialised training and, you know, sort of being trained to to drive and, and to pursue that they're almost sort of guards who are reluctant to get involved in that because there are other pressures outside of that and if there are any sort of negative consequences around that they have reservations about you know participating in some of the things that they're well, like, that they might them, themselves become yeah. targeted by the same protesters 
No, no, like oh. if you're, I think what you're saying is about like, basically you have to be a qualified to a certain level now to stick on the yeah. blue lights and pursue as a guard. Sorry, yes. As a guard driver. I didn't actually realise that. That's a new I yeah. thing, that I think. the blue lights sort of came with the badge. I didn't know that the blue lights were. Yeah, you you to have to have done a second level, basically yeah. driving course to be allowed to drive past the speed limit mm. and to hit the blue lights. Wow. So if some sort of an emergency happened, say there was a far right action against asylum seekers in some town out in the West, right? Mm. And there was not enough guards as there is usually yeah. in a lot and, of places out there. You to get there. And you need backup ASAP. Yeah. If the two guards you ring for backup aren't qualified to do it, they're probably going to have to crawl along at 60 kilometres an hour Wow. for a long time they to try and get there. To get to you. And this is something, yeah, this is something the GRA expressed to me there the other day. Which is then interesting well. because, um, so Leo Varadkar said on Tuesday that he didn't believe, or Monday rather, that he didn't believe there were enough Gardaí on the front lines and that that was one of the major issues. And then we've heard from other ministers since that you mentioned the Garda Commissioner, the Justice Minister spoke to Drew Harris on Monday night, again, the tale of two Harrises, and they got together and they decided, actually, we don't think there's a resources issue. Eamon Ryan was very explicit on Tuesday in saying, I was given a debrief in all that meeting. I've spoken to Roger Gorman. I don't believe there's a resourcing issue. If resourcing includes training and their ability to deal with the unique circumstances of a front line like that mm. and the training to be able to get there with your blue lights on. I mean, if that's resources, then what does it say also, that everyone in charge reckons that we're pr appropriately equipped? Mm. and the people who are actually responsible for doing the response say actually no, no we're not. Mm. But also Richard there has to be an element of work in terms of intelligence gathering as well. This is not just you know it can't just be reactionary it can't just be when the call comes in and something's going down. There surely mm. has to be a level of you know preemptive no. intelligence that has absolutely. to be in place and there needs to be resources for that. Absolutely and a lot of none of these events were a surprise. Mm. A lot of these things are organised on social media. You can mm. see when they're going to be happening and where they're going to be happening. Mm. I had politicians get in touch with me last Friday asking if we could go down and cover the counter protest that was going to be on on Sandwich Street yeah. on Friday evening mm. which culminated in people's belongings being burned. Yeah. I think we've explained now why some of the Gardaí say that they can't handle these things or they're not, they haven't got the training or the resources to do this properly. But there will be question marks asked about the Gardaí and how they responded to the situation on Sandwich Street. Mm. A lot of people weren't happy about that. They feel that more preventative action could have taken place, that more separation could have happened between the different groups who were there. Mm. And also for the counter-protesters when they were leaving there, a lot of them were heckled, jeered and basically just, you know, harassed all the way back yeah. by other people who were there mm. for the sole intention of making life difficult for the asylum seekers mm. who were there. Mm. Plus what happened on Main Street then over on Saturday, on Saturday yeah. people saw people uh, again abusing people who'd come here seeking asylum and they didn't feel that the guards did a good enough job. Now the guards are going to have to answer those questions for themselves but it really does like again none of these things are new. Yeah. They're, they are growing as a trend. They are growing as a concern and as a threat to people's lives and to the security of the state. But none of these things are new. And you have heard, I actually saw over the weekend, I was quite surprised by it. I almost, if it wasn't so serious, I would have laughed, um, read a newspaper story in which they, some guardy unquote, said, this is why we need facial recognition technology. That was in one paragraph. Underneath a paragraph where another unnamed guard said, we actually knew all these guys because we'd seen them and they were all identified in the video themselves and none of these guys are new. Yeah. Um, so like, like, why do you need so facial recognition? You don't need the technology <coughs> if these guys are, are visible and you recognise them because they're serial agitators. But but the, I think the takeaway point from it is if you have all of these people who are involved in security of the state 
and in policing on various levels and none of them agree on what the actual solution is or how equipped people are to deal with it. That is very worrying yeah. for what's going to happen in this country over the next well, while. Particularly so because there's a danger that as we kind of wrap up this conversation there's a danger that it will feel like well it's past tense that this is a thing that happened last weekend but those events now sit there and that's mm. it and they're done. And so we know that there's still about 500 it, it changes every night but there's around 500 asylum seekers who are still without full accommodation, full shelter, who are li- living in tents or anywhere oh, but else. But we have to remember the numbers, the people are coming every day. Yes, so they vary. So some leave and then yeah. others come in. So mm-hmm. so it's a transient number and, that, and that's fair enough. How but many that, leave though, do you reckon? Um, well, they... Some find accommodation. Yeah, so not. some find accommodation. Okay. So I, I'm not saying anyone actually like, departs the country, okay, but rather yeah. they, they leave tented accommodation mm. and then others come in and have nowhere else to go. So mm. they themselves end up in tents. But the major concern now is that when the government is able to bring on more housing into the system, for asylum seekers in the days to come. It's not going to be enough. Roger Gorgon was talking about this kind of, mm. this mini big bang of, of more housing. It's not going to be enough to cater to everyone who is in a tent today, let alone those who might come in the next days and the next weeks. You mentioned Owen Kelly spotting mm. 30 tents yep. on Saturday and yeah. 60 on Tuesday. So those people are still going to be there and now there is something of a track record, almost a template for those who are agitating against their presence. Well, why wouldn't they try to repeat what they did on Friday and be confrontational and think that they can ultimately get away with burning people out of the places that they are? Because they, by and large, got away with it under supervision on Friday. Mm. So why wouldn't you do it again? And then what, what does that say for the safety of those who have come here for even the basic sense of security? People like Usman, who would rather mm. be here homeless than in Afghanistan shot to death. Mm. What does it say that the best we can guarantee is that we're not sure if they won't have their stuff burnt out? Can I just, I know we went to ramp up and we're running out of time here, but I just want to say like the bottom line here and like, um, just to go back over old ground a small bit is that there is a refugee camp in the middle of Dublin city centre right now, whether the government wants to call it that or not. What's happening outside Mound Street, the 60 tents or however many are there, there is a refugee camp in the city centre and that is a shame. That is a shame on our government. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news ad free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's been a big week for AI and a bad week for the media, Richard. Yeah, well... Good week if you're... Um, AI won media nil. I like to use the word trickster for the person who got in, got through to the Irish Times as if this was some sort of like Batman villain or something like that mm. called the trickster. But yeah, uh, people might have seen this. Uh, the Irish Times was had and had bad uh, by someone claiming to be uh, a Colombian? It was Colombian, was it? Uh, Ecuadorian. Ecuadorian, yeah. sorry. An Ecuadorian yeah. health yeah. assistant yeah. Uh, saying that uh, Irish women's love of fake time was problematic and offered up a an opinion piece to the Irish Times explaining why. The problem was the person is not a real person. Their photograph was AI generated. In fact, most of that article was AI generated as well, but it was swallowed hook, line and sinker uh, by the former paper of record in this country, uh, the Irish Times, who have since apologised multiple times and probably 
probably not addressed it as well as they probably should have. Well, what would be a better way to address it? Well, I think I think there's probably more of a question mark over what passes for opinion pieces in this country now these days. In that there's an awful lot of stuff which seems to be no, to, designed to annoy people and to get people up in arms mm. and to get loads of hate comments and a load of clicks and just out of anger. Rage bait is what it's called. Well, as an Irish girl who's a big fan of fake chan, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, can see how it. I was a bit, I, I was mildly panicked when I saw the headline. I was like, well, I have to give up fake tan after this. Am I, am I wrong for wearing fake? I mean, it was a moment of, you know, reflection. It was a very fleeting moment. It was, it was actually a moment, a moment of reflection. Yeah. I will be honest, it was a moment of reflection, yeah. Like, I think that's almost like the conversation is about AI and understandably so in that you can hoodwink people very convincingly now. Hmm. But there was no talk in the aftermath from the Irish Times about how they pick what columns to do because it didn't seem like there's any questions asked about yeah. is this actually something which is worthy to do or is this person any bona fides because actually I know there's actually a more stringent process for getting a, a letter printed in the Irish Times in terms of photograph, address, all that sort of stuff, mm. mobile phone number, have a chat on the phone, all that sort of stuff. Oh, and there was, they, they do, yeah, yeah. To have a chat G- genuinely, a lot of the ca- in a lot of cases they do okay. but they don't do this for actual, a whole full column which they push notified Um Oh, I've forgotten that they sent the push notice as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actively trying to solicit so, for that piece. I, I, now, they, they did say, didn't they, that they had a kind of a back and forth with the writer, but it was in a DM setting. Yeah, it was, I think, on, with, yeah. a, with the Gmail account that they'd set up okay. for that purpose to make it look like they were authentic. Yeah. Um, and then when they supplied their author picture, it had been generated by, by DALI, which is a, an mm. AI image generation tool. But there were other editors. I know Danny McConnell has kind of come to the conclusion and he had sort of said, look, it could have, it could happen to mm. a lot of editors and there was sort of a, a definitely a level of empathy across the, yeah. the, the media spectrum gap. Wouldn't be like but, uh, Well, I know. <laughs> well, I but, the wagons yeah, left, I know, I know. I think that's, look, well, I mean. The, there's the, To be honest, the, there's a bit of me and full disclosure, the, the opinion editor for the Irish Times was, was once upon a time my boss in another outlet. There's a bit of me that sort of thinks or at least thought until Richard said that they, they called up the letter writers to make sure they're real. There was a bit of me that said, well, therefore the grace of God, go go anybody. Because you could argue that even if it were a real person, even if uh, if if Gavin Riley calls up the opinion out of the Irish Times and says, I want to write a piece, and here's, here's the argument that I intend to put out, you could argue that like any person could concoct an opinion piece just to be kind of rage baity, just to sort of see what sort of pushback they could solicit. Well, what's that got to do with AI though? Well, that's my point. That actually isn't necessarily anything to do with AI at all. That oh, no, but the, AI oh, sorry. the point, the point of that was the AI element I know, no, no, I know, but the, the point of this was more the AI element. Yeah, but if that, in that case, yeah. where's, where's the sympathy for the Irish Times in that case if they would just take any old ham-fisted well, concoction of a, of a, of a and literally, literally as they did here, just to get people annoyed? Like, where's this, why, why would we have sympathy for that? That's really terrible. I, I realise the, the futility of my argument. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say was that, uh, having, not, like, known, having not known that they called up people who write a letter to the editor to be like, here, are you actually... Yeah, they, checked, they, did, they did more, yeah. clearly a little bit more stringent, I, I found, just in that instance anyway. Uh, I'm sure that they're, will put in, more, in place more rigid checks in terms of the submission. Would you like me to read you an apology letter by the Irish Times constructed by ChatGPT? I'm taking a bridge version of it for okay. sure anyway. Because yeah. it's okay. quite odd. <laughs> okay. uh, to our readers and the wider public, we, the editorial team at the Irish Times, would like to extend our deepest apologies for the recent incident where a fraudulent opinion piece largely generated by an AI language model known as ChatGPT was published. I feel like there should be violins or something underneath this. We yeah. deeply regret the oversight and the impact it's had on our readers' trust and confidence in the publication. A bridged version, the Irish Times hold itself to the highest journalistic standards 
Committed to delivering factual and insightful content to our readers, we take this incident as a grave reminder of the importance of maintaining those standards and exercising due diligence in our reporting. Once again, we deeply apologise for the confusion, mistrust or inconvenience caused. We value your readership and trust and we will strength- work every day to rebuild and strengthen the bond between our paper and, and our esteemed. Just to be clear, that was written by ChatGPT. That's yes. wild. That yeah. is, like, honestly, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I'm terrified. Yeah, I think, I think it's just absolutely wild. Yeah. How do we, how do we, you know, the challenge to verify things is going to become so vast going forward beyond this. Yeah, there will be because as we talked about it before, like you can mock up images and videos now to the extent where people will question whether, you know, the veracity of actual real things that happen mm-hmm. now and whether they are, you know, stuff people aren't gonna, are not are basically going to be told that they can't believe anything that they see mm-hmm. uh, or to doubt everything that is actually legit, which is a real problem if you're like trying to document, you know, war crimes in places mm-hmm. like Ukraine or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... I feel like this situation, like I know some journalists were saying you shouldn't have to police vet people to do these things. Some of this looked mental. I'm going to be honest, like, you know, the, su- the subject of the image was literally as the person who did it said it was basically there, the right, a right winger's identi- uh, a sort of cartoon version yeah, caricature. of what a left wing opinionist writer would be with blue hair, all that sort of stuff. Like the name which was picked was, uh, was meant to parody Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the left-wing senator in the United States who is hated by the right. All these things were like, this is just, you know, there's no background here. This person never written an article before in their life, but just throwing it up there because we're paying people annoyed. Not great. Not great. You don't have to be asking about a thousand questions to know this isn't right. Just as we're in the studio uh, this Wednesday afternoon recording mm. this uh, and it's remarkable during an ad break we all looked down at our phones to see what was going on and we all had these push alerts about a story which is developing right now uh, through multiple outlets involving Prince Harry and Meghan. Yeah, so it's both the BBC and Sky News are pushing alerts just saying Prince Harry and Meghan involved in near catastrophic car chase. Now, I just want to say as we're bringing this to you, like we are just reading the details ourselves um, from Sky News here. Uh, they're saying Prince Harry, his wife Meghan and her mother were involved in a near catastrophic car chase after being followed by paparazzi, according to Harry's spokesperson. The relentless pursuit lasting over two hours resulted in multiple near collisions involving other drivers on the road, pedestrians and two NYPD officers, a spokesperson has added. The incident happened after Meghan and Harry had attended an award ceremony in York on Tuesday, their first public appearance since the King's coronation. I mean, that has terrifying shades yes. of what happened to Harry's mother. In, in case the subtext was missing for people. Mm. And you can put, let, let's not be armchair psychologists about this, but you can put an awful lot of Harry's estrangement from the rest of the royal family down to the different ways in which they processed the events of August 1997 and that Harry wanted to be so much more protective of his partner mm. than others feel is ever warranted. And it all goes back to that. And the idea that you'd be sitting in the back of the car having a two hour car chase while Papa two hours is, is nuts mm. yeah I don't understand why you need to chase anybody for two hours for a couple of photos mm. them what I don't shot, understand what are you going to get after 10 minutes through a car window minutes. yeah also those, are those photos even it. making the kind of money they made back in, at the time in the 90s when Diana was being pursued I don't actually know I don't know what they're paying for photos for Harry yeah. and Meghan no idea did you you didn't watch the Harry and Meghan Netflix Six parter. No. I did actually. Yeah. Okay, you yeah. did. I did. This did was the see... six parter, which was also the two parter because they the first well, three was, episodes. Yeah, yeah, it was did like nothing. a six parter in two parts. But yeah. um, they what there was some kind of um insight into the the kind of pursuits that they lived through in that. I think it was maybe like the first couple of episodes mm. where you saw them and they were like quite. It was interesting. They were quite anxious even being followed maybe just by one or two cars that you could see that it yes. was. Mm, it yeah. was actually very traumatizing. Yeah. You could see that it really had an impact on Harry and that. 
actually you could see that he was quite vulnerable in that situation. So I can't even begin to imagine that a two hour pursuit by a pack of, of photographers. Yeah. People be. will also remember the mention, I don't know whether it was in that series or whether it was in the book um, mm-hmm. where he talks about getting a, a jolly laughable Irishman to drive him through That's the tunnel right, in yeah, Paris. That's right, yeah, to go through the tunnel in Paris. Wh- yeah, which only goes it. to prove how much it still kind of weighs and his mindset and how much mm. his psychology is so influentially just changed by, by that whole experience. So, mm. like, I, I just... I, I don't get why you, why you do it for two hours, Richard. Like you said, like why, why you, a couple of minutes while they're making their their making good their escape from whatever venue they're in. Yeah, what yeah. are you going to get after fifteen minutes? You didn't get in the first five. I don't yeah. understand. I don't understand it. I don't understand why you'd be that reckless with it that you'd force multiple collisions. Then we don't have any footage of this yeah. supposed car chase as Harry and Meghan have described it or whatever. Mm. But like one of my number one takeaways from this is it's very annoying <coughs> that uh, like there is this relentless. Uh, critical coverage of this couple mm. it forces me to have sympathy for them even though I'm ultimately very tired of, of hearing about absolutely every movement and every speech they ever give but this is terrible this is like there's nothing about that which seems like worthy of pursuit or worthy of getting shots like they were at an event there's photos of them there yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you have the shot. Like I don't understand. I don't understand what else you're getting. You're getting a blurry photo from the back of a car. Mm. Mm. What's the point? One through the raindrops on the windscreen. Like, yeah. yeah what's I, don't, I don't get it. It's, it's, that's, 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 yeah. It looks bad at any point of view. Yeah. It, is it maybe p- partly because he was such a bit part player the weekend before last for the coronation that they just kind of wanted something fresh because this was his first public appearance. Yeah, it was. New York. But I even feel like we talked about it kind of briefly last week, like the coronation and Harry, they didn't really land. The, no. I didn't see lines really landing on that. I think it was kind of very. It sort of passed off of that incident, I would say. There was a couple of like bits on Sky News. I remember Sky News pushed alert saying Prince Harry wasn't invited to the balcony after the coronation. It's like only the working royals were on Mm. the balcony anyway, so it didn't. Too many of them. His brother wasn't invited to the balcony. Yeah, like it's not that big a deal. Yeah, well, now in fairness, he's invited to wear his garter gear though, so it was nice. (laughs) Yeah, oh, there you go. Um, Uh, We are all getting ready for the Pride Run. Uh, yeah. Of uh, is it the end of this month? It's a couple of weeks away, isn't it? It's a couple June, of weeks yeah. away. It is yeah. on. Uh, I'm looking it up here now. It's uh, Friday the 16th of June, half past seven. So it's about four Phoenix weeks away. Park. Yeah. It is being organised um, by Mark Armstrong, one of our cameramen. Mm. Is um, what's Mark's title? Is he the chairperson of the chair front of the Dublin Frontrunners? Head yeah. honcho of the Dublin Frontrunners. Head honcho of the Dublin Frontrunners. Front um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. For people who aren't familiar with Frontrunners, so it's basically it's a group of LGBT athletes who, who meet yeah. up for, for middle distance running in cities around the world. Actually, I have been on posting to Washington previously with Where Mark. Mark was running, yeah. And Mark, on the Saturday morning before we left, Mark was like, oh, I'm going to stretch my legs yeah. and met up with the Washington DC front runners. Yeah, he was going to meet them in LA but them. we were actually so flat yeah. we didn't get a chance. But um, I'm actually not going to run it. I'm going to actually walk it with uh, Paul Quinn and Hannah Murphy from the newsroom. But loads of people in the newsroom were like really excited about it and kind of yeah, really yeah, training yeah. for it. So it's kind of nice. Good numbers will be there, yeah. Yeah. Two cameras. Two punters. I think it'd be nice. Yeah. I think it's gonna be good. Yeah, I'm training. I did an AK walk on Monday and 5K yesterday, so I feel like I'm I'm ready for the Should walk. Be a bomb yeah, but you know what yeah. though, right? So that's all. That's prepped. All I know, like, yeah. but I was yeah. telling I was telling in the newsroom yesterday, right? So I used to I used to run years ago, and I was training for this event, and like I did a 5K, my very first 5K, and I was the last person to finish it. And my mantra was like, "Look, someone has to be last." And my dad phoned me, and he said come here, do yourself a favour now. I'll collect you on the road. Don't come back here. They're taking down the finish line. And I was like, no, dad, I'm going to finish this. And he was like, Sarah, please don't. He was like, they're taking down the finish line. He was like, I'll collect you on the road. So uh, that was the beginning of my running journey. But I ended up, I did like a 16 mile race then. It was um, after that. I was was delighted with myself. Then I kind of fell off the running wagon. I mean, I may get back on it, but in the meantime, I'm going to walk the Pride Run for Mark Armstrong. If it it were possible for Couch to 5K apps to gather dust, uh, mine would be. (laughs) 
Uh, that, that's how little running I've been doing. So I'm probably going to be be slow walking it with the rest yeah, of you. Yeah, really yeah. looking forward to it. So that's the 16th of June and more details are on their website. So Riderun.ie if you want to register and you can come with us. We could, we get a group together. If you want to walk it, you can come walk with myself and Paul Quinn and Hannah Murphy. And Are you going to walk it? Probably, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah and Gav. We need to find if you a want rhyme. to run, you can run with We Richard. need to find a rhyme for chat to call it the group something or other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is all the time we have. Uh, thank you, Zara. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Gav. Thank you to Maxine, to Rory, to everybody in the gallery. And, and Tommy this week Tommy is holding week. forces. Tommy. Yeah. Socials. Tommy. Uh, <laughs> thanks to everyone who's involved and we will catch you again same time, same place next week. Until then. Bye. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.